Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. And apparently, donning gay apparel does not mean a top hat, a bow tie, and leather chaps. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, they sometimes are irreverent, sometimes educational, but always holiday, joy-filled, and entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you. Yep, it's Christmas time. Yep, Christmas is coming up. And as just a reminder, you must be an elf of at least legal smoking age wherever you are in order to listen to this fine show. So if you're not, go ahead, turn it off. Come back next Christmas when you are older. All right, got that. Uh, in pipe parts, I'm going to talk about uh, the uh, the levels of cleaning and res- and restoration in a pipe, just so that we can kind of get everything, yeah, you know, just mainly clear in my head of what all goes into and what the difference is between cleaning a pipe and restoring a pipe. And then my guest is Jeremy Reeves. We start off with a bonus jumbo-sized Ask the Blender because I asked for questions, and boy, you guys sent them in in spades. So uh, we've got him for our guest, uh, holiday music, mailbag, and a holiday message at the end of the show. So stay tuned all the way for that. Uh, also, because it is the holiday time of the year, don't forget to renew your NASPC membership. $21 gets you uh, six issues of the Pipe Collector for next year. And uh, remember, everybody's, everybody's, all of you, everybody's membership expires on uh, December 31st. So renew now so that you don't miss an issue. NASPC.org. Uh, each issue is packed with good, with great writing, and it's nice to just sit down with a, you know, a, a paper magazine size thing and read for an hour or two. Um, also, Master of Pipes nominations. So the Master of Pipes is the uh, Chicago Pipe Show's younger set, under forty-five. Must have done something significant. F- uh, must have participated significantly in the hobby or the industry side. Either one, you can nominate one person for hobby, one person for industry. Somebody definition: if they're in the, if you make your money doing it, well, then you're in the industry. If you're doing this for fun, then you're in the hobby. There you go. Uh, so start thinking about people for that. I'll get you information in uh, future shows of uh, how to submit your nominations. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and here is the impetus for this discussion that we're about to have. Uh, a, uh, a friend of mine here in the Charlotte area, uh, gave me his grandfather's pipe and it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's nice. It's a, a regal Dr. Graybo in fairly good condition. And we had the discussion of, does he want to smoke it? 
he's a part-time cigar smoker and, and tried smoking a pipe and and just didn't work. I'm going to try to work on him on that, but you know, more on that in a future episode. Uh, does he want to smoke it? Does he just want to display it? And does he want it to look like it's used or not used? So this is the discussion that I had. And, and what we decided on was he wanted to smoke it. So I've had the pipe with me. I did a, uh, I did what I call just a sanitizing clean. So I lightly, lightly sanded down the cake in the, in the tobacco chamber, which there wasn't much pulled the pipe apart, did a real good internal cleaning with uh, bristle cleaners and rubbing in uh, Everclear, and then did a very light, a very light buffing on the stem just to see if there was any oxidation that I could get off and give it just a clean, you know, just clean it up. So basically what I did was I just did what I call a sanitizing clean to it and got it back to probably pretty good smoking conditions uh i taste tested it and smoked it and didn't get anything real bad out of it there was a little ghost of the previous tobaccos but you know so i could do a i could do a deeper uh a deeper uh, exorcism of the ghosts if i wanted to but right now that's all it really needs now had he wanted to go a little further and get it and get it cleaned up professionally then you know maybe the top of the bowl would be a, a lot better looking than it is uh maybe the stem would be a lot shinier than it is but that's kind of the next step up and then even after that if we really wanted to go into a full-blown restoration and send it off to one of the people that we know uh you know, we could have got the burn mark off of the bowl and put a new layer of wax on the outside and done a little bit of uh, buffing and cleaning and, may and maybe matching the stain because there is a spot on it where my guess is that the pipe had been laying down on something and the lacquer finish has come off, so it's kind of bald there. Uh, there's a couple of... Uh, yeah, there's just some nicks and dings in it that really could be taken out completely in a full-blown restoration and you know and again i'm i'm looking at this pipe and i know it's his grandfather's pipe it's got a ton of sentimental value but in reality does a regal dr grabo have much value to it besides sentimental value not really um and in and I also was talking to him about it. You know, this is kind of this this has got his grandfather's burn mark on it, and it's got a little, little bit of his signature there. And you know, it shows that it was used and loved. So there's different levels of the restoration process or the cleaning. Uh, so what I did was a fairly good internal cleaning to it and clean the stem just where he's going to put his mouth on it, just so that there was no oxidation there. Then there's the next level cleaning where you clean the inside and the outside. And then there's the full-blown restoration where you take it all the way back to almost brand new. Uh, you can, you know, if there's dings and stuff, you really can't get those out that easily. But, you know, again, that would be a much longer process. Uh, the next level beyond that is repair. And that's where if there is an issue with the pipe, uh, you know, something's cracked, something isn't, you know, the stem needs to be replaced, uh, there's damage to it, 
then you get into the repair side and that brings it even further up. Uh, so this pipe didn't really need that. It just needed a very simple light cleaning. I've smoked two bowls through it. It smokes fine for, uh, for what it is. It will smoke even better once that little bit of a ghost is out of it. Um, I did open it when I opened it up and it's got the screw in tenon and I was able to pull out the little stinger to make it a little more functional for use with a pipe cleaner. Uh, and you can just, I can just put that stinger back in if, if that's what he wants. Uh, but again, this is his, you know, this was his grandfather's pipe. Uh, so it'll be functional for him. Uh, did I want to really spend time and, you know, fix up the outside of the bowl? Personally, no, because that's the way all my, uh, all my Disney world pipes are in the condition that I got them in so that they show that they were used, loved and appreciated. Uh, this one, this pipe that I'm holding here, the Dr. Graybo will smoke fine for the Dr. Graybo and it'll take some time to kind of, uh, well, it'll take some time for my friend to figure out what kind of tobaccos that he likes, how to smoke a pipe. So it will do fine for that. Once he decides that he likes pipe smoking and he enjoys it, then we'll take a trip over to the, uh, you know, we'll, we'll start looking at buying a, of him picking out a pipe and putting this one on the shelf where it can be admired and viewed and, you know, held on for memories. So I'll start him down the road of the Peterson, Savinelli, maybe a Briarworks, something in that price range, and just start him down that road. But this will get him to learn how to tamp and light, and he'll be able to actually say that he sat down and smoked his grandfather's pipe. All right, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And in just a moment, Jeremy Reeves. This is Internet Radio. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us, it's the week before Christmas, and uh, boy, have we got a uh, we got a juicy treat for you because joining us is Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell and Deal Pipe Tobaccos, and uh, you know they blend a few other things there, but we won't talk about those too much. Uh, but. Uh, Jeremy, it's the week before Christmas, and all is uh, all is quiet around your house and around the uh, Cornell and Deal factory, right? That is correct. For right now, uh, we're we're closed today, but we'll uh, be back up and going full steam ahead on Monday morning. Uh, we'll be closed for Christmas and uh, the day after, and we'll be back at it again the following week. 
is uh, uh so uh well christmas is on a saturday and a sunday so i guess that that gives that gets sykes out of the uh annual tradition of boxing day off but <laughs> Uh, that's and, right yeah his his love of british lore um anyway so you're you're back we're doing a jumbo size because i we're doing the ask the blender or ask jeremy segments and i got such a big response that you know what i want to get through these questions i want to get them as timely as possible so we'll try to get through a couple here and then uh and then the rest of them will have to wait for a regular segment so are you ready i am so Tim Timothy Corner asks, uh, I'm looking forward to your new segment, Ask the Blender. Please ask Jeremy, what is the role of pH in his blending process? Do blenders consider pH when casing tobacco blends? Does pH contribute to tongue bite? Can the pipe smoker adjust the pH of a blend they purchase? How is that for a first question for you? Welcome to Ask the Blender. All right. So <laughs> um, pH does play a, a certain amount of a role in the way that I approach a blend. Um, that doesn't mean that we have high-tech uh, equipment that we're constantly measuring the actual uh, the actual pH of every of every leaf or every blend that we're using, um, we are much more low tech than that. But uh, pH plays a role in mouthfeel. Mm -hmm. uh, pH plays a role in the overall flavor profile of particular types of leaf. Uh, we know that uh, Virginias tend to have kind of a tangy. They can veer fruity. They can veer. Uh, a little hay-like, and they tend to be uh, a little more acidic. So they have a slightly lower pH than uh, burly or dark-fired, which tend to skew uh, more basic um, yep. and more alkaline. So they have a higher pH. Um, the reason that we consider pH uh, important is because, as I say, it affects the way that mouthfeel um, and particularly things like tongue bite um, can can be exacerbated by certain types of blends. Um, and of course, like with a bright Virginia, you know, or a red Virginia blend, we assume that the smoker um, is is either sufficiently familiar with how to smoke Virginias or is going to learn real quick when they do <laughs> the wrong thing. Um, there's not much we can do. Uh, but one of the things that you can do that kind of takes the edge off of the, the lower pH uh, leaf like Virginia's and Oriental's is uh, casing. Most of our blends do not utilize casing for this purpose, but some of our blends do. Um, and the way that, that casing can help um, kind of, kind of uh, remove acidity and take some of that edge off is basically by using neutral mm -hmm. or or alkaline things in the casing so molasses uh sugar honey brown sugar those things can help to kind of add a little bit of a neutral or even a basic element to the the flavor profile and to the to the ph makeup of a blend 
and and help mitigate casing that or uh, help mitigate uh, tongue bite and things like that that way. And then on the burly side of things, adding those same things can just generally make the 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 mouthfeel of the tobacco a little mellower and a little a little bolder in terms of the volume of smoke. Can, I'm, I'm going to stop you right here because I want to I want to talk about mouthfeel because uh, you know maybe you can maybe you can give us some better description of what you're talking about. I know that sometimes there are tobaccos that you know just feel hot in the mouth or hotter or bitier and that and that results in tongue bite or you know in, in my case sometimes I actually burn the roof of my mouth a little bit uh, but other times there's also tobaccos that kind of coat I, I get like this filmy coating on my teeth and my teeth might feel a little fuzzy right you want you want to take you want to talk and you want you want to learn me about what I'm experiencing there well um, with with bite um, and with with the feeling of heat, um, what you're experiencing is basically that acidity, and and uh, so you know heat can kind of indicate to you that maybe it's time to slow down a little bit. Bite mm -hmm. that kind of chemical uh, response on the tip of your tongue or maybe the middle of your tongue. Um, again, you can slow down, uh, but but beyond that, there's there is a chemical aspect to this that is that is i mean by the time you're experiencing that in the finished blend there's not much that you as a as a home smoker can do without changing the blend to adjust the ph um so if you're getting bite from a blend my suggestion would be try adding a little bit of perique or try adding a little bit of black cavendish or try adding a little bit of burley um not a lot even two or three percent um, of the total volume of the finished blend being a more alkaline or neutral product can help change the pH level of the overall blend and really make a difference in how you experience that blend. Can you also do that with Latakia? You can do that with Latakia. Um, Latakia helps to uh, lower the temperature that a blend will burn at because Latakia is smoked for so long to create Latakia that it's basically par cooked. It's kind of like, uh, you know, if you, if you take a kernel of rice of long grain rice and you tried to chew on that, you're going to break your teeth. But if you buy a box of minute rice, you can actually throw that into a cereal bowl with some milk and crunch on it because it has been partially cooked and then dried back down. Okay. Uh, and so it's kind of the same idea. And then, and then I guess with the pH also, if it's a, if it's a real high bitey kind of a blend, the other thing you can do is just age it for a while, and some of that will come back down. That's correct. That's correct. So, the, so the additives that you're putting on the blends don't. It doesn't make the pH go away. It well, I guess it it doesn't make a high a high pH blend go away right away it just eats it slowly right the the additives can help to kind of uh budge the ph more towards neutral um or towards or towards alkalinity 
um, or they can budge things more towards uh, uh, a more a more aesthetic and kind of citrusy uh, element. If you're talking about yeah. casing, say Burleys, for example, you might want to use uh, you might want to use some vinegar, for example, uh, in the casing, or you might want to use um, uh, a a light citrus. Uh, sort of element to the casing to add a little bit of acidity and that really helps um with a couple of things one because burleys are alkaline uh they're they have they don't have higher nicotine than than more acidic uh tobaccos like virginia so much as more of that nicotine is actually absorbable to to you because of the chemistry of that leaf uh, Burley and, and Red Virginia have pretty comparable chemistries in terms of nicotine, but they have different chemistries in terms of their pH. And as a result, the, the higher pH is more absorbable. Huh. Um, and so you get more of the nicotine from that tobacco. Uh, and that's why people have the perception that Burleys are stronger. So I wonder if that's what's given me some of that mouth coating fuzziness is the different uh, the different pH levels in the tobacco and the way it's absorbing into my mouth. It, it certainly could be. There also could be things like uh, propylene glycol that are used um, on, I don't know what blends you're, you're talking about, and I don't know all of the ins and outs of another manufacturer's approach to things, but if you've got a high volume of things that are creating vapor in the smoke, um, then that vapor is is hitting your teeth and hitting the soft palate and condensing and basically creating a, a little bit of a residue and then i would also assume before we go to the break here that uh i assume that whatever you've got in your mouth might also um kind of uh <laughs> battle with what the smoke is doing too so you've got to be careful about what you've previously eaten or drank in the past in the recent past yes if you've just been eating a bunch of uh sour pitch uh, sour patch kids you know <laughs> really really sour candy i wouldn't recommend turning around and smoking a bowl of straight virginia um <laughs> you know without without giving your palate some time to kind of to kind of reacclimate because you've just raised the ph level in in your mouth a lot and uh you know, so that's just an extreme example of uh, of kind of what you're talking about. Also, I would never recommend eating a bunch of chocolate before you're trying to sit down and really assess and taste a pipe tobacco because the oils and the fats and the chocolate are going to coat your mouth, and whatever you whatever you smoke is going to taste just delightful, but it's not going to taste like what it actually would taste like on a clean palate because you've got so many other things that you've that you've kind of coated your sensory uh organs with dang how are mike and ike's and uh and boston baked beans those are my favorites oh boston baked beans um i think would probably be all right because you're just talking about uh a little bit of sugar there is some fat there from the oils of the nut but uh it's not going to be the same as like a milk chocolate or a dark chocolate where you've got this like thick almost uh almost soupy kind of film that is just going to stay on your palate and and coat it for a long period of time that's basically like smearing your mouth with cocoa butter 
and then expecting <laughs> to be able to sense anything through the layer of cocoa butter that you just smeared in there. See, now we're getting Chef Jeremy back. All right, we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to take a break right here. I'm going to have a few Boston baked beans when we come back more with uh, Jeremy Reeves. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show doing a uh, pre-Christmas Ask the Blender with Jeremy Reeves. Jeremy, I told you these guys these guys came loaded to bear. I mean, the first one out of the box is about pH. So, uh, Are you ready for your next one? I sure am. So Greg writes... Uh, why are some tobaccos that were processed into flakes packaged and sold as broken flakes? Did they not hold up well as flakes or perhaps broken was determined to be the way most consumers preferred? Uh, and then he says, for example, a favorite of mine is Cornell and Deal Sunday Picnic has always been a broken flake as are others in the Simply Elegant series. This, of course, doesn't bother me as I prefer the head start in preparation anyway. Uh, and then he also says, uh, many of the blends were conceived before your time, and you may or may not know the specifics, but for those which you were the head blender, Mad Fiddler Flake, for example, what is the thought process there? I suppose this opens up a broader question of all blend cuts from shag to plug, and is it a certain speed of burn the blender wants, tradition, marketing, or a combination of many factors? And then he says, uh, thanks to both you and Brian, and uh, keep up the great work, Greg. <laughs> All right, Jeremy. All right. Um, so the, uh, the broken flake versus flake thing, there is, there is a few different... Uh, aspects to this or there are a few different aspects to this um sometimes we we make a product um in a few different uh formats and we decide on what what that product really prefers or what we prefer what format we prefer that product in um sometimes uh it's it's a matter of as he said uh, that we we put together a blend and press it into a cake, and when we cut it into flakes, uh, it doesn't hold together as well as we had hoped. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we 
we do have some things that I think hold together quite nicely, and most of our Virginia flakes, I think, do. Um, but there's still there's still just equip, equipment differences between what we're doing with uh, with a big power press and then a series of screw jack presses and hydraulic presses and something like what Sam Gaywith can do with the old Robert Legg uh, steam cased, steam jacketed presses. Yeah. Um, and so, and so sometimes it's just simply an equipment difference uh, or, or a leaf type that is particularly difficult to get to adhere. Uh, Quiet Nights, as an example, um, has a lot of Latakia in it. And uh, it has a bunch of, uh, of chopped perique in it. And those two, those two leaves and textures tend not to want to stick together with things as well. <laughs> um, and so it just ends up being a broken flake. In the instances where we've actually intentionally made a broken flake, you'll notice that we call them a ready rub or, or uh, a... Uh, what we use use the term in-house chop block so we make a block we cut it like flake and then as the flake is coming down the trough um rather than leaving it intact as a flake we intentionally just gently kind of tussle and rub the tobacco out a little bit and and give kind of a texture like what you see in say meridian for example i know from my experience that you know, in, in order to get those flakes to stay together as flakes, uh, you've really got to press the hell out of the tobacco. And, That's true. And by really pressing the hell out of the tobacco, you actually change the way the blend is going to perform. So, yeah, sometimes you, you know, sometimes a broken flake. <laughs> I like what you said where you'll try it in multiple versions. And mm -hmm. sometimes the less pressed version that results in a broken flake or a crumble or whatever, uh, sometimes that tastes dramatically better than the one that was pressed all the way into flakeness. That's correct. Uh, so, oxidation plays a role in that. So what, with oxidation, you mean by the, the ability of the, of the air to get around the tobacco better? That's, that's correct. So like in a plug or, or even in a flake, you've got more of the volume of the tobacco that is actually in the, in the pressed form. And there's less, less ability of oxygen to get around and affect the surface area of the tobacco. Um, and so you'll find that uh, a plug version or a flake version of the exact same components will taste dramatically different, particularly after a year or two, then those same components would just uh, blend it together into a loose ribbon mixture or uh, even pressed for a short period of time and then and then rubbed back out. Yeah, so if we, if we go back to Chef Jeremy for a minute, that would also kind of be the same if you're doing like a pot roast where you got to cook to the middle of the pot roast and be careful with the edges. That's right. That's right. Dang, I said something smart there. Uh, <laughs> you often do. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I do know also is that, you know, in order to get those really pretty flakes, and I always use Orlick Golden Sliced as the, uh, uh, as the perfect example of what a flake tobacco looks like, 
uh, you've got to use something in it to help those flakes adhere together. And that's right. Yeah. And I, I don't know what you guys do cause I've never snuck in there and wandered around by myself. But if you add something to the flake to get it to, to adhere together, that changes the way the blend is going to perform. That's correct. Uh, usually that would be done by using, uh, something neutral, like uh, gum arabic but you can also do it by adding uh extra sticky stuff that would also be sweet um you could use it you could use uh you know really syrupy um kind of casing like a like an invert sugar or like a honey um, but you would have to use more than just a traditional casing quantity to get those effects um, you'd actually have to put so much on the tobacco that it's actually sticky to the touch. Um, <laughs> and typically when we're casing, we're talking about much smaller volumes than that. Is there also a, a processing cost when you're, when you're doing a really, you know, when you're trying to do a real fine, a, a perfectly good flake cut, uh, is that a little more expensive on the processing because of the, extra time in the presses and then the extra i know the the blades that i used to see at the mcbaron and and scandinavian tobacco factories that cut the flakes those blades only would last for a couple of minutes yeah that's right so uh blade expense is is probably the bigger portion portion of this um because you know having to replace blades every two minutes and having to get those blades sharpened um, is just an ongoing kind of expense. Um, and also the uh, kind of machinery that uh, a place like McBaron is using to cut flake um, is a lot more uh, fine-tuned, modern, and precise than what Cornell and Beal is using. We're basically using uh, equipment from the 1920s and 30s. Um, and so you've got wider blades, uh, thicker blades um, that were really designed to hold an edge for a longer period of time. Um, and we're a, we're a small company. We've grown a lot in the last few years, but we're a very small company. And, and a lot of our infrastructure is kind of built around being a small, nimble company. Um, and so we don't have big plots in, in our factory space uh, floor plan that that are allotted for these big um, and and very very hyper modern kinds of pieces of equipment like you see in the McBaron factory uh, and very expensive pieces of machinery. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Um, I've seen them in operation, and yeah, uh, you know, the, you, you can't just go down to Home Depot and pick one up either. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you can't. The uh, the expense that's added from holding tobacco in the press that's you know that's basically passive passive work um, you know once it's once tobacco is in the press the only thing you're really doing is either automatically or or manually adjusting the pressure down over and over and over again every day um, and we actually have a system that we just installed that I'm really excited about that. Uh, automatically does this so all of the presses that we have are now on one hydraulic system that uh every 30 minutes it basically does a pulse 
through the entire chain of presses and and readjust so every time the tobacco kind of has compressed to a point that it's relaxed and there's a little more pressure that it can that it can take every 30 minutes this machine is automatically um, going through and re re-administering pressure to to get every little little gap that it possibly can out of the tobacco Wow. Um, we just started using it, but I think that it is going to yield uh, more adhered flakes for us because it's some it's doing something that we just don't have the time to send somebody around every thirty minutes to crank down the presses again. Yeah. So prior to, I guess prior to having this, you sometimes you might get a cake that was a little less dense than another cake right next to each other, and you wouldn't know until. Maybe you went to cut it. That's right. That's right. Um, we, you know, we we don't have um, we don't have a large staff, and and like I say, you know, it's kind of been a, a thing where in the morning somebody goes around and, and tightens down all of the presses, um, and then does it again in the evening, and and having a system that can do this throughout the day every thirty minutes uh, means that we're really getting a lot more a lot more purchase on that tobacco in terms of the amount of pressure. Yeah. And then that'll help with conformity of the blend from one tin to the next and everything That's else right. down the road. So, That's right. One of our, one of our guys that, uh, he came on board a couple of years ago, but he's got a lot of equipment experience and a lot of knowledge that has kind of just been able to revolutionize aspects of the way that we do things. Um, because his brain just works different. When he looks at something, he can he can not only imagine what it could be, but he also knows all the things that that would go into making it the way that he imagines it to be, and and he can do all sorts of programming things and all sorts of uh, mechanical and equipment kinds of things and fabrication that we've just never had that kind of institutional knowledge. Wow. And I thought you were going to say he had really big forearms from cranking down the presses all these years, and now he's <laughs> well, going to now he's he, going to have to do he something. Has really, he does have really big forearms too. He's a pretty big guy. <laughs> um, if you uh, if you look at our website um, under the About Us tab, you can actually see images and bios for all of our employees, and uh, the the gentleman in question is Breton Otto. Um, and he is a, a longtime friend, actually, of my girlfriend and uh, was working at a candy factory right next to Cornell and Beale for a lot of years and uh, decided that he wanted to do something else. And so he he got a job literally right <laughs> next door from the place that he was working at Cornell and Deal. He went from making candy to making candy for adults. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I like it. Um, are there any Cornell and Deal blends that you can recommend that are an example of a broken flake versus a rubbed out or, you know, a flake versus a rubbed out so that people can try them and see the difference? Sure. I would recommend to anybody checking out uh, opening night as a flake um, or interlude versus Derringer, which is processed like a flake and then is rubbed out to have sort of a coarse cut ready rub kind of texture to it. Is there a way for 
somebody at home, say like me, to uh, spin out tobacco the way you might do it so that we could you know, get an example difference of what a blend would taste like as a flake or, a, or spun out? Well, yes, but um, but with the caveat that whatever you're working with at home has already been processed the way that yeah. it was, and and so if it was done as a flake, um, you rubbing it out isn't going to immediately change everything chemically that happened while that while that block was pressed. Um, yeah, so pretty much the, the damage is done. Right. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't maybe phrase it that way. I mean, I think that a uh, flake is a delicious thing. Uh, but, but the, the format has already, has already accomplished what that format comp- accomplishes and you rubbing it out. Isn't going to dramatically change that without a bunch of time. Um, and even still, it's never going to be the same because you're talking about, you know, uh, you're talking about the difference between something that was pressed for 20 yeah. minutes and then cut, uh, and has basically always been in the presence of oxygen um, versus something that was pressed hard for 7 to 14 days and then cut into flake and has spent most of its time with most of the tobacco actually being in in sort of an anaerobic environment. Well, you ruined my idea, so. All right, you ready for one more question, and then we'll let you get off to getting ready for Christmas? All right. Uh, Jim asks, I have a question for Jeremy Reeves the next time you have him on. Okay, here you are. Um, I've always been curious about the colors of Virginia tobaccos. There was an old McClellan blend called University at my local B&M that was topped or cased orange Virginia shag cut. It was exclusively made by Mike and Mary for this brick and mortar. Anyway, I love this blend and have always tried to find a replacement for it. One of the things I'm finding is that Orange Virginias don't seem to be very prevalent these days. My question is, what makes a Virginia tobacco orange, red, yellow, lemon, bright leaf? I think an explanation on this would be helpful. Sure. So, the main differences in the color are sugar content the area that the tobacco was grown in, the position on the stalk that the particular leaf came from, and the way that it was cured. So all of those factors play into the end color that a farmer is able to achieve um, when when they've got their finished product ready to sell. Uh, so on the high sugar bright end of the spectrum um basically what has happened is that the tobacco has grown in uh thinner usually sandier soil um so there's less moisture um that uh that is hanging around um and that uh that tends to yield a brighter color overall to the tobacco and uh, that also sort of invigorates the tobacco to uh, need a lot of need a lot of sugar to it um, to maintain the energy that it needs to grow. So to capitalize on that high sugar and to capitalize on that bright color, 
uh, when you cure that tobacco, you're really looking at mid mid stock uh, position leaf, which tends to be a little thinner um, and tends to have a little more sugar to it. Um, and you're you're going to approach it where you spike the heat uh, in the in the flue curing up front, and that that heat spike is going to basically set your sugars and give you that high color. Um, and then then after you've achieved setting the sugars, then you're going to drop that that temperature way 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 down, and then slowly bring it back up again to finish. Uh, with red Virginia, you're talking about tobacco typically grown in slightly richer soil, um, but you still want some sand in there uh, to keep your sugars up, and you're thinking of your cure more like barbecue. So you want leaf that is thicker and sturdier and tougher, um, and you want to, rather than spiking your heat, you want to start out low and slow and really, really gradually over a period of, say, 14 days, bring the heat up. And that's how you're going to get that rich, dark color. So anywhere between that bright, bright yellow and the deep red and mahogany is where you can find your orange and your orange red um, and, and on into your red and then into your mahogany. So it's just time, luck, and, uh, and, and a little bit of help from mother nature. That's right. And growing, growing prowess and processes that the farmer implements along the way. Uh, and then finally, Jim asks, uh, where can he find some orange Virginia? Uh, we have used some Orange Virginia uh, most recently in the uh, Carolina Red Flake with Perique that we just released. You mean the um, one I'm smoking right now? Is it the one that just came out this year? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Yep. So there are, uh, there are some red-orange tips and some lemon-orange um, leaf as well in that blend. Um, and then some true bright leaf as well. So there, there are a couple of a couple of leaf grades in that that do have some orange tobacco that is that is involved in the blend. Does Cornell and Deal sell bulk blending orange and red and yellow and purple Virginias? We sell uh, red and bright. Our red is not a straight red. No red really is going to be. Um, there are some leaf that end up being a little lighter and some leaf that end up being a little more mahogany and the red Virginia that we use incorporates both of those to some degree, but the heart of the blend is red. So he could order some of those and goof around with them and, at home and try to figure right. out. And then we also sell bright and, and the bright is much more uniformly bright. Jeremy, uh, I'll we'll finish this up just by saying, you know, thank you for coming on. We've got more questions for you that'll be played in the future, I promise. And uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you and your family and uh, and Otto, the guy with the big strong arms, and all the Cornell and Deal people. 
Oh, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed being on, and uh, yeah, thank you for having me. And I hope that you and your family also have a very, very Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to everybody back home that's listening. And we'll be back in just a minute. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark, and like you, there can only be one Savinelli. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, in uh, full disclosure, Jeremy and I recorded uh, three or four more segments that will come out in the Pipe Parts segment in future shows. If you have any comments or questions for Jeremy, you can please email them to me directly, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. And for holiday music, uh, so uh, Tad wrote me, uh, I'm sure you must get inundated this time of the year for song suggestions. Forgive me for adding to the pile, but I have a couple I don't believe I've heard you play in past holiday seasons. A huge Christmas favorite of my wife and I is John Berry, B-E-R-R-Y. He did an album many years ago of Christmas music. Our favorite is his version of Oh Holy Night. It's an emotional powerhouse. Here are a couple of links. Blah, 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 blah. And so that's what we get. And that's from uh, from Tad. So, Tad, thank you very much for sending this in. And uh, here is uh, John Barry. This is the album cut version doing Oh Holy Night. stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Only the world in sin and ever pining till he thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Light 
of our faith serenely beaming with glowing hearts by His cradle we stand. So led by light of a star sweetly gleaming, here came the wise man from me. King of kings lay in lowly manger with all our tribes born to be our friend. He knows our need to our weakness, no stranger. Again, that is John Berry, B-E-R-R-Y, and uh, thank you to uh, Tad and his wife for sending that in. Just beautiful. You've got mail. You've got mail. You've got mail. If you have a mailbag comment or question, you can email it directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com, or go on to PipesMagazine.com and post it on the radio show page. Uh, Christopher wrote me, I greatly enjoy your podcast, and though I listen regularly, I cannot always listen immediately. 
I'm listening this morning to episode 481 from November 30th, the uh, first of your Zoom Pipe Club podcasts. Uh, you may have gotten this comment already, and if so, forgive me. I'm actually kind of rolling my eyes and laughing at myself for even sending this bit of useless trivia. Uh, at the beginning of the show, you read out some amusing old print advertisements, one of which was for a tobacco for the tobacco nosegay. Uh, you're right. It certainly does not sound. Uh, it certainly does sound not very politically correct these days. But a nosegay is a small bunch of flowers, like a tightly wrapped bouquet, and is typically sweetly scented. It's an archaic sounding word that comes from Middle English when the word gay meant something like ornament. Uh, nosegays were very common in Victorian England, but they and the word itself are still much in use today, especially at weddings or other formal festive events. Thanks so much for your show. It's terrific. Chris in Vermont. <laughs> Thank you very much, Chris. I'm glad you, I'm, uh, I'm glad you brought that to my attention. And in a further, uh, a little further research, a nosegay was something that women carried when they were, you know, if there was a foul odor around them, maybe somebody that was a little foul, uh, they could just hold that up to their nose and their nose would be happy. So there you go. Uh, probably still not going to be used for a, for a pipe tobacco. Uh, and then going back two weeks ago to the Zoom Pipe Club meeting, part two, uh, Casey Ghost says, really good show. The guests got to contribute a lot. They all seem to have acquired considerable stashes of out-of-production tobacco. Very enjoyable. Yeah, uh, pretty much everyone on the, on the Zoom group is a tobacco hoarder and has been hoarding tobaccos for years. Uh, including Dino, who Dino says, again, it was fun to relive this conversation among our group. I only hope your listeners are having as much fun with it as we did. Uh, Queen with Freddie Mercury is in the top tier of all the various genres of music I enjoy. And this is a particular holiday favorite. When all the boxes of Christmas stuff come up from the basement, we too feel that joyous nostalgia as Linda and I trim the tree. Though new replacement red and gold ornaments and light strings are often needed, those cherished oldies carefully and lovingly packed away make the placing of them upon the tree a warm and wonder-filled experience. Thanks, Dino. Dino, you're welcome. Uh, and uh, you know, Lots of fun to record with Dino. And then going back to last week's show, we have the same two regular contributors in reverse order. This time it's Dino first, and Dino says a very nice wrap-up to the Zoom group, uh, Dickensian project this group and the friends new and old with whom I with whom I've been able to share time on a weekly basis is one of those rare positives from the negative COVID pandemic captivity I know that others have participated in similar zoom groups over the past year and it's a testament to the incredible camaraderie of the pipe smoking community Billy Squire, <laughs> this is not in my Christmas tunes rotation. I was 35 when this came out, but I remember the fun MTV video, the catchy tune, and the clever lyric. Uh, your closing comments were spot on. It's more important to be real and warm in your holiday greetings than correct. I pray you have a great and meaningful gatherings. I pray you have great and meaningful gatherings this season, my brothers and sisters, Dino. Thank you, Dino. And then Casey Ghost says, very good show. Uh, seems like the group all got a chance to speak, and they did it very well. I noticed that Brad Pullman got a lot of requests for a pipe, which he didn't reply to. 
I would sure love to have one of his pipes, but he is unfortunately out of my price range. Uh, I found it very funny when one of the guys said he was set on pipes and wouldn't be buying any more. About keeled over laughing. <laughs> Music was fairly good. Surprising that I have never heard of the artist. You never heard of Billy Squire? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Brad was quiet during that because I was muting everybody that wasn't talking so that we didn't get any background interference. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, Brad makes a killer pipe. All right, again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And in just a moment, we'll finish this off with a holiday message. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corn Cob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corn cob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. Normally right here you'd hear some screechy music and some twangy stuff and you'd hear me get wound up and ready to complain and well, we're, it's Christmas. And in a uh, tradition that uh, was kind of started by, well, I guess we've been using this song off and on for Christmas for uh, since the beginning of the radio show. Uh, but we, uh, from all of us here at the Pipes Magazine radio show, which is basically me and Kevin, just wishing you a warm holiday season, and uh, as the days are starting to get longer, or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, as the days are starting to get shorter, just hope you find some joy and peace in the holiday season, and we'll leave you with this.
מחכים לשמחה. אום נטל. צמדה וואלה. פרוליקה קרטפס. פיסטו סרון. פליס נטל. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Put that down. Hello? Hello?